on February 14, 1996, in Boston, Massachusetts. So I kind of ref- I like to refer to myself as a root out of dry ground. <clears throat> Anyhow, um, about a month later, a little girl showed up at the at the Messianic Jewish synagogue that I was worshiping at. And the reason I was at a Messianic Jewish synagogue is first went to a church when I got saved. And the pastor met with me and he said, you know, Joe, just because you're, you're, you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you have to stop being Jewish. I said, really? He said, yeah, there's a place called a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And you can go there and still be Jewish and believe in Jesus. So I went and I would go there on Saturday because they met on Saturday And then on Sunday, I would go to church. And uh, I'm very grateful to that pastor, Richard Rhodes, for helping me find out who I am. I'm a Messianic Jew. Uh, And I found out my identity, you know. And uh, but about a month later, uh, a young lady showed up at the Messianic Jewish synagogue and uh, she was sitting behind me. And it's this young lady sitting in the front row. Would you stand up? It's my wife, Dawn. And if I didn't get saved a month earlier, I wouldn't have met her. (laughs) So it's a good thing Pastor Rhodes sent me to the Messianic Synagogue because we've been married for 17 years. Now, I am a a cancer survivor. I have survived leukemia in 2012. And uh, it's a miracle that I'm standing here before you. I had stage four cancer. I was about a month away from meeting my maker face to face. Um, But God intervened and and saved my life. So I'm here today to share with you a a message called Christ and the Passover. Now... um, If you were to ask a Jewish boy or girl who the hero of Passover is, they would certainly tell you Moses, okay? But if you were to ask a Jewish boy or girl who knows Jesus as the Messiah, the same question, they would tell you that Jesus is the hero of Passover. Now, perhaps some of you are wondering, what does Jesus have to do with Passover? Passover is Jewish. Well, so is Jesus. And not only that, I believe everything in the Passover speaks of Jesus. All of the symbols of Passover, all of the uh, of the things of the Passover table have to do with Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a question before I begin. Does this table look a little strange to you? Raise your hand if it does, if this table looks a little funny. Just don't be shy. Raise your, just raise it up there and say, Rabbi, that table looks a little weird. Okay. That's good. Well, I hope my hope is that by the end of our time together, this table looks a lot more familiar to you. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to begin um, in the book of Luke in chapter 22. Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. everybody there? Okay. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, behold, when ye are entered into the city, 
there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and he shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. I'll stop there for now. Now, the first night of Passover begins a seven-day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, Jewish people eat nothing that contains any leaven or yeast. That means no donuts, no Pop-Tarts, no, no Cheerios, um, no bagels, uh, anything, or no, no, no pancakes. Anything that contains leaven or yeast is taken out of the house for a whole week. And instead, they eat this stuff. It's called matzah. Can you say matzah? Matzah. This is unleavened bread, and I'll talk about it more later. But um, the reason they remove the leaven out of the house is because leaven in the Bible is a symbol of sin. And uh, the Bible tells us that just a little bit of leaven causes, um, you know, causes us to be puffed up. And our heads become puffed up with pride, with envy, with anger, with selfishness, with lust, with greed. And so... Uh, for this reason, Jewish people cleanse their home of all the leaven. They get all the leaven out of the house as a way of saying that they want uh, to, to remove the sin out of their, out of their lives. It's a, it's a symbol. Okay? And this is usually the duty of the woman of the house. So for six weeks before Passover, the lady of the house will be cleaning the house and removing all of the cakes, cookies, bread, cereals, biscuits... Ding dong, anything you know, anything that that has leaven in it, she'll be doing it, and and uh, she will clean cabinets and religious Jewish women will either change, they'll either change the dishes. My mother would change out the dishes, and I would have to wipe down the. I carry the boxes of dishes into the cellar, bring up the new dishes, and I would wipe the cabinets out for her and help her. But um, now. <clears throat> mean the man should be doing all that cleaning? Hmm? Well, our rabbis have come up, come up with a terrific solution to this dilemma. And they explain it like this. It's true, the house is spotless because the woman has been cleaning for six weeks and removing all the cakes, cookies, bread, cereals, biscuits, pop-tarts, ding-dongs, and ho-hos. But she's left a few crumbs for her husband to find. So on the night before Passover, he comes home and he takes up some strange-looking cleaning tools. They consist of a wooden spoon and a feather. And he goes around the house of what we call Betty-Cot Hummets. Would you say that with me? Betty-Cot Hummets. Betty-Cot Hummets. That means the search for the leaven. Now, where could those crumbs be? Up in the attic down in the basement, behind the refrigerator, anywhere. But fortunately for him, his wife has been kind enough 
to hide the crumbs exactly where she hid them last year. And the year before that. And the year before that. Finally, he discovers the crumbs. And with a steady hand, he sweeps them into the spoon with the feather. Since the crumbs represent sin, he isn't permitted to touch it. So he carefully wraps the crumbs in a white cloth. And he takes it down to a campfire in the courtyard of the local synagogue. There, uh, all the men of the synagogue have gathered with their bundle of leaven, which is a picture of sin. And then he tosses it into the flames. Then he, and he returns home and he says proudly, Now I have rid my house of all manner of leaven. But just to be certain, he adds, may all manner of leaven that I have neither seen nor removed be considered null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. Hard work. Well, uh, the Passover begins with the lighting of the candles. And this is usually the duty of, again, of the woman of the house. So I'm going to ask uh, my wife Dawn if she would come up and and light the candles. But before I do that, I want to let you know that uh, Jewish men, the leader of the Passover, usually wear some special garments. And um, you've probably seen one of these. This is called a yarmulke that Jewish people wear. But on Passover, um, the host wears something a little more elaborate than this. He wears a mitre. He also wears, let me take this out here. A special robe. This is called a kittle. Priestly robes and the symbol of a crown. Why? Because the head of Passover is both a priest and a king. Amen? The head of Passover is both a priest and a king. And as a priest, he leads his family through the Passover Seder. Seder is the Hebrew word meaning order, as in order of service. And that order of service is in this book called the Haggadah, which means the telling, the telling. And this is the order of service of Passover, and it hasn't changed for thousands of years. Um, And you'll see in this book pictures, there's, it's the story of Moses and the exodus from Egypt. It's the story of God's redemption of his, of the children of Israel. Amen. So you see Moses at the burning bush. And then it tells the story, there's Moses going to Pharaoh. And this is the story of the Exodus. And we tell it through a meal. And the the, 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 uh, order of service, or the Seder, hasn't changed in, in, in thousands of years. All right. Now, again, as I said, the Passover begins with the lighting of the candles. And I'm going to ask Dawn if she'll come and, and light the candles for us.
I know what you're thinking. Joe, you look like the Pope. Well, where do you think he got the hat? She's going to recite a special blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by thy commandments and commands us to set this day, this Passover, apart for you. Amen. Amen. Uh, would you leave that on for a sec, honey? Now, Jewish women always cover their heads at Sabbaths and festivals with a white head covering. Did you, anybody ever see Fiddler on the Roof? Right, raise your hand. Remember when the Sabbath, when they lit the candles and they covered their heads with the white? Why do they? I always wondered why the women cover their heads with white. One time I asked my mom, I said, Mom, why do you put a white scarf on your head when you light candles at Sabbaths and festivals? And you know what she said? Tradition. <laughs> but then I found this in the Bible where it says in Revelation 19:7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And then I realized that Passover isn't just a picture of Moses. It's a picture of of Jesus and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And her, his bride is wearing white and he's wearing a white robe and a crown because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen? Amen. Thank you, dear. Well, the candles have been lit and now the Seder has begun. At this point... Um, there are four cups of wine consumed at every Passover meal in a Jewish home. Four cups of wine. And uh, we use grape juice in our home, but a lot of folks in, in, in Jewish families and in Israel, they actually use, actually use wine. And um, the first cup is called the Kiddush cup. Would you all say that with me? Kiddush? That means holy. Okay. The second cup is called the cup cup of plagues. Would you all say that? The cup of plagues. The third cup is the focal point of the Passover. This is the cup of redemption or the cup taken after the meal. Cup of redemption. We're going to spend some time on this cup. And the fourth cup is called the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. Hallel, praise. But it's with the first cup that the host recites a blessing for the rest of the Passover. He says, Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Amen. And if we were all having a Passover, we could take a sip, and then we put the cup down and at this point, a child comes forward to ask four questions that are asked at every Passover. And the same four questions every year. And they're all sung. And the first one goes like this. Ma nishtana halai lahazeh mikol halelo mikol halelo And that means, 
Why is this night different from all other nights? Why is this night different from all other nights? Those of us who know the story of Passover are obligated to respond, this is because of what the Lord did for me when He brought me out of slavery, when He redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see, the heart of Passover is redemption. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It imparts God's means of redemption through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. My ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb and to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones. And they were to apply its blood to the doorposts of their homes. First to the top post, the lintel, then to the two side posts. Through their obedience to God's commandment and their faith in the effectiveness of His provision, they were spared the penalty of death. When the angel of death saw the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites' homes, death was forced to pass over. That's where we get the name Passover. In Hebrew, it's Pesach. And that's the name of the holiday which commemorates the time when death passed over the houses of the Israelites. Why? Because of the blood. The blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Give Him glory. Well, it's now time for the second cup, the cup of plagues. Now, this cup is a cup of wrath, and we we actually don't drink the cup of plagues. We take ten drops, and we call out the names of the ten plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians. So I'm going to do that. So each person, if we were at the table doing this, would we take a, our finger or a spoon and we'd drop some ten drops from the cup. So I'm going to call them out. Would you please join me and follow what I say? Blood, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, Darkness, death of the firstborn. That's a nasty cup, isn't it? Well, uh, that's why we don't drink it. But there was one who did drink it, and he was in a garden one night, almost 2,000 years ago. And he said, Oh, my father, let this cup pass from me. And I'll read, I'll read, I'll read his, what he said. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then he figuratively drank this cup of wrath and plagues and disease and sin and filth and his sickness and every foul thing that's out there in the world today. 
he drank it for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, at this point, it's now time for the Passover meal. But before we get to that, I want to mention um, this, this item here is called the Seder plate. And the Seder plate, although some of you might be thinking it looks like a deviled egg plate, each one of these compartments is, contains a piece of food that's symbolic of, of redemption. And the first item on the Seder plate is called the carpus or the greens. Now, the greens represent new life. And I love Passover coming at this time of year because um, I love to see the greens spring up in, in April and, and, you know, how green it gets around here and the rain and it's all lush. And, and uh, the green represents new life. So we're, the rabbis tell us to take some of the carpus and dip it in salt water, which represents tears. And the rabbis tell us this is because a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. And then we would eat some. The next item on the Seder plate is called the uh, chazeret. And this is the root of the bitter herb. The chazeret, the root of the bitter herb. Now, the reason we have a bitter herb, this is an onion, you can also use a horseradish root. And the reason we have the bitter herb on the table is to remind us of the bitterness of our ancestors suffering under Pharaoh, of the children of Israel building uh, bricks, making bricks for Pharaoh's uh, pyramids in his, in his cities uh, and, and having to gather their own straw to do it. We remember their suffering, but it also reminds us of another one who suffered, and his name is Yeshua or Jesus. Okay? And, um, <clears throat> you know, so we, we, we have the Hazaret to remind us of, of our Lord's suffering. But the next item on the plate is the actual bitter herb itself. It's called the maror. Would you all say that with me, maror? And that is, um, the maror is the actual bitter herb, and it's, it's freshly ground horseradish. And we're instructed to eat a teaspoon of horseradish at Passover. Any volunteers? Do you know what happens when you eat a teaspoon of fresh ground horseradish? You cry. That's right. You have little choice in the matter. It's between the horseradish and your sinuses, and the horseradish usually wins. Just, just kidding. The next item on the plate is is uh, is a really a delightful thing. It's called the haroset, and the haroset is made. <clears throat> this is Dwayne's version. <laughs> I love Dwayne. <clears throat> but it's usually made of chopped apples and nuts and cinnamon and honey and maybe raisins or dates. And it is delicious. Chopped apples, cinnamon, nuts, honey, days, raisins, dates. Um, and it's brown. It usually is a brown mixture. And, and it's made to remind us of the mortar that our ancestors used to make bricks for Pharaoh. Perhaps some of you are wondering, well, why would you take something so sweet 
feet to remind you of making bricks. Well, our rabbis have a terrific answer. They tell us that even the bitterest toil, the bitterest labor, is sweetened with the promise of redemption. The bitterest toil. This I would eat. Okay. Now, the next item on the plate is called the Beitzah, or the Hagiga. And the, the Beitzah is an egg. It's not an Easter egg. Uh, and it doesn't make it to Easter. <laughs> and this egg is used to remind us of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Jewish people, religious Jews, mourn the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And they pray at the Western Wall. Religious Jews will pray 24-7. They'll be there praying at the wall. And what they're praying is for the Messiah to come to come the first time. They don't believe he's come yet. So they're praying for the Messiah to come and rebuild the temple and restore the glory of David's kingdom. That's what they're praying. And so this egg is taken and we roast it until it turns black. And then we slice it and each person takes a piece and dips it in the salt water, which represents what? Tears. That's right. We mourn the destruction of of the of the temple. Now, as you notice, I'm sopping here. And there was a, a guy at the table named Judas who sopped with the Lord. And the Lord said to the Pharisees, he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It could have been the egg that, that, that Judas was sopping with the Lord because he was about to be destroyed. We don't know. The last item on the Seder plate is called the Zeroah, and that is the shank bone of the lamb. The shank bone of the lamb. If you recall, in the Exodus story of Passover, Moses was instructed to eat three things. Unleavened bread, roast lamb, and bitter herbs. Only three things. Unleavened bread, roast lamb, and bitter, and, and bitter herbs. But Jews don't eat they don't eat lamb at Passover anymore. Instead, uh, the rabbis decided when the temple was destroyed and the sacrificial altar was torn down, the rabbis said, we will no longer serve lamb at Passover. Instead, we'll take a bone of a, of a lamb, a shank bone, and point to the bone. Please join me at pointing to the bone as a reminder of sacrifices that are no longer offered. Well, without a sacrifice... How can we make atonement for our sin? You see, even Leviticus tells us, God says, for I've given it to you upon the altar, in Leviticus 17.11, for I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. But without a sacrifice, how, can, how is atonement possible? Well, some folks might say, Rabbi Joe, that's old-fashioned, that's... that's, that's that's ancient history. We don't really need a blood sacrifice, do we? Don't we? As I think we do. Amen? And that's, and that's where uh, the sacrifice of Jesus comes in. By His blood, you and I pass over from life, death to life. Amen? Amen. But the presence of these two items reminds me of something. 
um, the, 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 the Beitzah and the Zeroah reminds me that, that there's no temple and there's no sacrifice for the Jewish people. So how do they make atonement if they don't have a sacrifice? Well, Jewish people focus on good works. They focus on keeping the commandments and trying to earn their salvation. And they're, they're, they're so busy, some of them don't even care. Some of them have just given up trying. Others are so focused on keeping the law and, and, and trying to earn their salvation by keeping 613 commandments that none of us, you know, even James or, or the apostles in Acts 15 said, you know, not, we've all fallen... We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. Amen? But once nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish fellow by the name of Yochanan. You might know him better as John the Baptist. And one day he was baptizing in the Jordan River. And his gaze fell upon the form of another man named Yeshua, Jesus. And he said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, that's how our sins are taken away. Not by the blood of lambs, bulls, and goats, but by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Messiah Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right. I remember I said there were four questions that the child asks. And one of the questions he asks is, why on this night do we eat unleavened bread? Why do we eat unleavened bread? And let me explain by showing you this. This is called a matzotosh. A matzotosh. And inside of it are three layers of unleavened bread. Two. Nothing up my sleeve. Three. Now, at this point, the host will remove the middle layer and he'll break it into two pieces and he'll put one back in And he gives the other piece a special name. He calls it afikomen. Would you all say that with me? That that means, that's not a Hebrew word, it's Greek, and it means that which comes later. And that's exactly what happens. We don't eat the afikomen right now. It comes later. (laughs) But for now, we wrap it up in a white napkin or white cloth, and then we bury it, we hide it. And later on, we, won't, we can't finish the Passover until it's brought back. Until it's brought back. We're going to come to that. Okay? All right. At this point, um, it, it is the halfway point in the Passover, and we would break for the meal. And this is the point in every Passover meal everywhere in the world that they would stop after the second cup, and they would have the meal. And... I'm just going to read a little bit. Let's go back to Luke 22. In verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them with desire, with passion, 
I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying this, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before I get to the rest of the Seder, I want to stop at the meal for a second. Okay? At this point, um, what, in, in what they would have done in ancient times, is somebody would have come in and served roast lamb. And they would have served, uh, uh, you know, the bitter herbs and, and, and uh, um, um, maybe the chopped apples and the, the, the parsley, the greens, and, and, and uh, those things would have been served to the people. And so I'm going to ask the wait staff if they'll bring it in. Folks, you can come in right now and serve the meal. Just kidding. But bef- just I, I want to take a minute or two to tell you a little bit about our ministry before I conclude. And uh, we, Don and I came here. Uh, she was an airline pilot for Northwest Airlines. She was a DC-10 pilot. And she, the Lord called her to give up flying uh, aviation to serve in ministry with me. She was in Boston. And then they hired her in Minnesota working with Northwest Airlines, which is now Delta. And, and we were married, and I was living in New York with serving as a missionary with Jews for Jesus. And Dawn was flying airplanes out of Minnesota, and she would fly into New York to see me. And then I would fly out to Minnesota to see her. And that's how we did it the first, couple, first year or so of our marriage. And then God asked her to give up flying uh, and to serve in ministry with me. And we were... We were asked by Jews for Jesus to lead a Jewish gospel music singing group on a world tour. So we traveled through 47 states in Canada, England, South Africa, Australia, and Hawaii playing Jewish gospel music. I played guitar and bass, and Don played the piano. We had three other people with us that played instruments and sang. And uh, we sent, we, it was an incredible experience. We saw hundreds and hundreds of people get saved through our testimonies, and, and uh, uh, it was an amazing experience. And then the Lord sent us to the Tri-Cities. And I couldn't understand it because I had lived in New York City, Boston, Minnesota, San Francisco. We were married in Baltimore. She was traveling the world to Hawaii and Amsterdam and London as a pilot. And then God said, go to Bristol. <laughs> and I... She, now, she said at first, she said, Honey, I think God's telling us to go to Bristol after we're done with this tour. And I said, uh, She must have had a, a, a bad dream. <laughs> not, not, you know, she must have uh, had a nightmare or something. She didn't want to come back here. She, was, she, she grew up here. Her people are from Scott County and Bland County. But she wanted, she liked the big city and liked her life as a pilot. And she really didn't want to move back to, to Bristol, even though I liked it. I thought it was a pretty place, you know. And, and uh, um, <clears throat> but then she, God convinced me and, 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 and 
he really knocked on my door and said, I want you to go to Tennessee and Virginia and, and do this ministry. And I really didn't understand it. I said, Lord, there's a church on every corner down there. What do they need this Jewish guy to come and, and, and preach the gospel? Well, really, I've been had kind of a, a Pauline-type ministry. My ministry has been more to the church than to the Jewish people. People ask me, they say, how many Jews are there in Bristol? I go, well, one, two, three, four, five, you know. Um, but my ministry is really to the, to the church. And it's, it's to re- remind the Christians that our faith is Jewish. And the roots of our faith is Jewish. If, if you know, the, um, we are deeply connected to uh, the true Judaism, which is the Judaism of Jesus. Amen. It is the true Judaism. And, 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 and uh, you know, when you're reading the Bible, and this is one thing I realized, how the New Testament is a Jewish book. It's written by Jewish guys arguing with other Jewish guys about a Jew. <laughs> you know, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, and I, I couldn't. But they, as a boy, they always said, don't read that book. It's not for you. They kept it from us. And I didn't read it till I was 29. And nobody ever told me as a little boy, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Didn't know about the love of God. All I knew was the law. And, and, and you know, we, if I didn't do this, you know, I was in trouble. And if I didn't do that, I was in trouble. And... And I want, my parents were loving as much as they could be. But really, you know, if I would get punished if I fooled around in, 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 in the synagogue or if I didn't go or if I skipped out and was running around the halls with my friends, you know, as a little boy. It was tough. But so God sent us here and we've been teaching... Um, the Jewish, the Jewish roots of our faith. For this is our fifteenth year, and we started a ministry called For Zion's Sake Ministries uh, fifteen years ago. For Zion's Sake Ministries, we've had a television show on a Living Faith Television for a few years. Um, we own the Manna Bagel Company in Bristol, and we share a lot of literature and, and books there and teaching. Uh, and it's you know people, it's right between the salt shakers if you want it. If you don't want it, you can just eat the bagels, you know. But uh, God, it's an interesting way to share the gospel. But it, God's out of the box, you know. And a, a cafe was a dream of mine to own a cafe. And, and a bagel shop was always something I wanted to do. And God showed me how I could do it and play Christian music and Jewish gospel music and, and share the gospel with people and food. It's like loaves and fishes. We also have a little congregation. Um, we meet uh, on uh, um, New Hampshire Avenue in Bristol, Virginia. We have a, a synagogue. We are one of the only 25% of Messianic synagogues in the world that has their own building. Only 25% of Messianic Jewish synagogues have their own building. And we're one of the few that actually has a building. And, um, and, and we meet there. Uh, every week on Saturdays. And uh, <clears throat> that's one other way that, that we reach the community. And another way is through teaching. And this is uh, 
uh, an article, a newsletter that we have called the Zion Letter. And this is called Jesus Rose from the Dead on Passover. It's an in-depth teaching about the early church, about the early church. Now, if you'd be interested to receive my newsletter, um, you can sign up at the table or just go. You can go on your smartphone to, to forzionsake.org and you can, you can sign up for our newsletter if, if you're interested in doing that. Um, we also have uh, some resources with us. And these are free, by the way. There's a book table outside, and you can take some with you. These newsletters are free. And we also brought with us some stuff that's not so free. This is called Christ in the Passover. Uh, it's uh, My wife says you can't take me home, but you can take this book home. And it, it tells you all about what I'm teaching today and in more detail about the story of Christ and the Passover. And it's, it's, it's a classic book on the subject, and uh, we make it available to folks. We have some go- Jewish gospel music. If you like um, Jewish music, Middle Eastern-style music with, that's gospel, um, this is Shalom Jerusalem. It was made in Israel, and it's one of my favorite CDs. Um, praise and worship CDs. It's really wonderful. It's made by integrity, put out by Integrity Music, and uh, and I, I promise you, if you get it, I'll, I'll give you your money back if you don't enjoy it. <laughs> Lastly, I want to tell you about we're having a Passover banquet at the Holiday Inn on the 19th, and there's flyers out there, and we're going to actually have the meal. And you can come. We invite you to come to the Passover meal and um, bring your Sunday school class, tell your friends. It's a good time. I give the same teaching, but it's a room full of people, and we actually eat the meal together. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun. So um, that's on the 19th at the Holiday Inn. And this brochure on the table will show you how to get tickets if you're interested. So these are the ways that we reach out to the community. And... Um, I just wanted to share that with you. All right. It is now time to conclude the Passover. But before I can finish, something is missing. Earlier, something was broken, buried, and now needs to be brought back. Does anyone remember what it is? The bread, the afikoman, the that which comes later, right? Now... This would have been hidden had we done this in the home. It would have been hidden somewhere. And all the children would search the house looking for it. And only one would find it. And he he or she would bring it back to the host who will remove it from its white cloth. And then, just as Luke says, it would be broken into pieces and distributed to each person. And I'll, I'll just read again what the Lord said. He said, and he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, take this. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, remember, we just ate the meal, right? Likewise, it says, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Isn't that amazing? We just had the meal, and now we've come to the same cup that the Lord says after the meal, this cup, of, and we call it the cup of redemption, 
is the, is the new covenant or the new testament in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. So I want to ask you a question. Does this look familiar to you? This is the origin of, of your communion. This is where it comes from. Right here. Passover. And, uh, and it's the same, the same new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah spoke of when he said, Behold, days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their ancestors, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with them in those days. I will put my, my Torah, my law, within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. When I discovered the true meaning of the, of the bread and the wine, or the juice, it just made, it, it brought, I've been doing this for 30 years. And then I realized that it wasn't just a cup of juice and a piece of, we call this dessert. The Jewish people think it's just dessert. They don't realize what it represents. The broken body and, 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 the, and the blood of the covenant. Amen? Amen. So at this point, uh, in the Seder, we would we would drink the cup. We're going, you're going to have it afterward, I believe. Is that correct, Pastor? Oh yes. Now, as I said earlier, there's three layers of matzah in the. This is called in the matzatosh. In English, it's called the unity. The three three layers. Rabbis have been debating the meaning of the three layers of, of unleavened bread for centuries. Uh, some rabbis teach that the three layers represent three crowns, the crown of kingship, the crown of wisdom, and the crown of priesthood. Some rabbis teach that the three layers represent the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some rabbis teach that the three layers represent the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. But none of these explanations gives us answers the question, <clears throat> why is the middle piece broken and then distributed to each person? It doesn't answer that question. None of, the, none of those three explanations gives us a good answer. But I can see the answer clearly pictured in the matzah itself. Because if you look at the matzah, first of all, you see it's striped. The Bible says, by his stripes we were healed. Amen? By his stripes we were healed. And Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. Amen? You also see it's it's got bruises all over it. He was bruised for our transgressions. Amen. He was bruised for our iniquities. And lastly, can we turn the lights out for a moment? I just want to show you something really neat. If you look closely, you'll see the bread is pierced. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced. For our transgressions. 
And they shall look upon me, Zechariah said, they shall look upon me whom they've pierced as a father mourns for an only son. Thank you. We can turn the lights back on. But I, I can see our Messiah not only in this piece of matzah, I can see him in the matzah as well. Which I said, the rabbis have three reasons that they've come up with why there's three layers of matzah. But, as I said, none of those reasons gives a good answer as to why the middle layer is broken. But, can anybody think about why there might be three layers of matzah? That's right. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the one answer that the rabbis haven't come up with yet. But you got it. Amen. You can pat yourself on the back for that one. All right. Well, it's now time to conclude and with the last cup. And, and the Lord said, he said, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And there's one last cup of Passover that I haven't talked about. It's, and this is called the, the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. Hallel, praise. And I believe he's referring to this cup when he says, I, I will no more drink of the fruit of the vine with you until I drink it in the kingdom. But what are we going to do in the kingdom when we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, praise him. Amen? We're going to praise him for all that he's done for us. And, and, and so this last cup is the cup of praise. And so we can drink it and call forth the things that be not as though they are. So if this had been an actual cup, I could... If you'd had four cups of wine, you'd be ready to praise the Lord. I'm telling you. Woo! <laughs> I don't know that from experience. I'm just... <laughs> but there is one other cup that I did not mention. And this is bigger than all the other cups. If you noticed. And it's called Elijah's cup. Elijah's cup. And some of you may be wondering, well, why does Elijah have a cup at Passover? I mean, okay, Jesus celebrated Passover and Moses uh, was at Passover and Aaron and, and, and uh, the children of Israel. But w- when did Elijah celebrate Passover in the Bible? You don't see it. It's not really spoken of. So why does Elijah get a cup? Well, the rabbis at the very end of Passover based on Malachi chapter 4, where it says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the earth or the land with a curse. And then in 1 Kings, so the rabbis have given us this cup to remind us that before the great and dreadful day, before the tribulation, the day of the Lord, Elijah the prophet will come and he will prepare, he will restore the hearts of the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac. We're going to sit at the table. Remember the Bible tells us we're going to sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. You know, we're going to sit at the table with the patriarchs. And God wants to restore the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children. Amen? Amen? And, and, and so 
the church, in a sense, is Israel's children. And, 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 and the fathers, King David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Samuel, all the, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Abraham, by faith. Those are the fathers of the faith. Amen? And the mothers, Deborah and, and Esther and, and Re- Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. Amen? God wants to restore. That's, that's my ministry. That's our ministry. Restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children. And so, if, if it's a Jewish guy's ministry to restore the hearts of the church back to the Jewish people, that's a big cup. But there's another reason um, about Elijah. And it says, and I'm almost done here. This is the end. First Kings 18.30 Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Verse 36 says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that You are God in Israel and that I am I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And Matthew 17, 11, And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and did not rec- they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. You see, John the Baptist didn't finish the mission because they didn't recognize him. What if Elijah came back as a Messianic Jew before the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Would the church recognize him? Would the Jews recognize him? If he was a Messianic, of course he's going to be a believer. And he's probably going to be Jewish, which probably means if Elijah's coming back to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, if you believe that, he's probably a Messianic Jew. And I asked you at the beginning if, you, if this table looks strange, right? How many of you raised your hands? Just, just raise them up there. Does it look, still look strange to you? Raise your hand if it does. You know, it's the same table as this. It says, this do in remembrance of me. Same table. It just has more stuff on it. It just has more stuff. You see, you didn't do it and your pastor didn't do it, but the early church fathers took all the other stuff away from you. And my job is just to bring it back. Put it back on the table. Repair the altar. That's the job of Elijah, to repair the altar. I'm not saying I'm Elijah, but I believe that in these days, these are the days of Elijah, and the work of Elijah is to restore and repair the altar of the Lord which has been torn down. 
Would you come? As we have to have a repaired altar in order to have a marriage supper. Amen. We conclude every Passover with these words. The Shana Haba'ah Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. And may we be together celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb next year in Jerusalem. Pastor. Bride. Thing, when he comes back, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as the lion of Judah. Amen. Get ready. Get ready, because he's coming soon. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Joe. Very insightful. Real blessing to all of us. Now we have an opportunity to remember Jesus, that we personally will partake of his body as through the bread and of the juice as we remember his blood given for us. I want to ask the deacons at this time to come forward as we prepare our hearts and are ready to share together. Let's prepare our hearts as we prepare to partake of the bread that signifies this broken body for you and for me.
shall bless him. His praise shall be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble man will hear of him. The afflicted will be glad. And join with me to magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together forever. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from my friends. Let us exalt his name together forever. Oh, sing his praises, magnify the The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear his name to save them and deliver them from harm. Though lions roar with hunger, we lack for no good thing. No wonder then we praise him with our song. Let us exalt his name together forever. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from my fears. Let us exalt his name together forever. Oh, sing his praises, magnify the Lord. Come children now and hear of me if you would seek long life. Just keep your lips from wickedness and lies. Do good and turn from evil. Seek peace instead of strife. Love righteousness and God will hear your cry. Let us exalt his name together forever. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from my fears. Let us exalt his name together forever oh sing his praises magnify the lord let us exalt his name together forever i sought the lord he heard me and delivered me from my fears let us exalt his name together forever. Oh, sing his praises, magnify the Lord. Oh, sing his praises, magnify the Lord. Oh, sing his praises, magnify the
as I listened to Joe's teaching, I thought about what was said about the commandments where Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And as we've heard today, all the teaching a foreshadow came together in Jesus. Blessing of while we're here together. He's the one who loves us. I thought it'd be nice if we could all stand and join hands and for a closing sing together, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, I want to make a word too. We're going to have take up an offering at the end as you go out for uh, Joe and Bell and their ministry. So I encourage you, of course, to be generous and supportive.